0: Hey guys, this is Ken McRoy, and you are listening to the Mailbox Money Show with Bronson Hill. This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, so if you're like me, you're wondering what's happening today in multifamily investing. If you own properties, or maybe you're an investor passively in one of our deals or other deals, uh, there's a lot of things that have changed, particularly in the last six to 12 months with interest rates rising, uh, the Fed, the uncertainty of the Fed, what's going to happen. Well, my friend and returning guest today, Omar Khan, is uh, the CEO at Boardwalk Capital. They've done thousands of units. They're just awesome folks. And really excited to have him back. He's actually doing an event coming up in April that I'm speaking at called the Multifamily Wealth Project. So I encourage you to come and be there if you can. You can search and find it either in the links below or the show notes, or you can find it uh, if you search on the internet. So, Omar, how are you today? Welcome.
1: Not too bad. And by the way, you should share your promo code. Uh, yeah. That we set up for you guys so your listeners can get a discount.
0: Okay. Yeah. The promo code is HILL, H-I-L-L, 25. So you can save 25% off. And that's a way that, you know, we can hang out and spend time. I'll be there at that event. It's going to be, there's a lot of great speakers lined up and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll be in Vegas, which is always fun, right? I'm not a huge Vegas guy, but it's always, there's always something fun happening in Vegas, which is great. So, um, awesome man. Well, well, welcome back. I know we had you on before, and, and you've always been an operator that I've respected, and th- you know enjoyed the things that you're you're doing. But uh, uh, what's 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 happened since we've last connected? Tell me how things are are going on on the real estate side.
1: Well, look, a lot of things have happened. You know, unless you're living in a cave, <laughs> lots and <laughs> lots of things have happened. Uh, some of them are self-inflicted wounds, and some of them are just bad things happening to good people, right? So it's a, it's a balance of the two, right? The self-inflicted part we already know. Highly levered, thinly capitalized, you know, low cap rate deals, where I mean they were price to perfection sort of deals, right? So we're looking at these three caps and two caps, 70s vintage deals in the Phoenixes, the Austin's, the Tampas of the world, right? Those sort of so some of those are self-inflicted wounds, but some of the bad things happening to good people sort of deals are, the Fed has an unprecedented uh, hike in uh, interest rates. And I think to me, I mean, we talk about it, there's lots of technical reason, but I think eventually it's just come down to a, it's just come down to a face-saving exercise, right? They said inflation is transitory and that really blew up in their face. So it's like a drunk reeling from one problem to another problem, right? Instead of like charting a middle ground path, right? And say, okay, we're wrong once, we don't have to go to the other extreme. They've literally gone to the other extreme. And it's like, you know, I'm just going to burn the house now just to prove a point.
0: Sort of deal. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The Fed, uh, it's amazing they have any credibility left. You know, it's like they said, oh, it's transitory and all this stuff's happening. And even I was, (laughs) I have a friend who is a real estate investor and she was trying to understand like the, the what inflation actually is and you know most people don't really know and so i said well currently at least at the time recording i like we were how just... you
1: said currently by the way currently like... yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> currently it's 6.5 percent officially but when you look at shadow stats or actual inflation it's like 15 percent. and she was like well what's the difference why why would you know why would they do that i said well they're incentivized not to to make basically make it seem like it's not as bad as it yeah. is, right? They want to make because because they're spending like crazy, and if they think if they let people make people think inflation is not as bad as it really is, it's amazing how they, it's almost like this gaslighting experiment. They get people convince people, oh, it's really pay no attention. What to do you the mean? It's almost like a gaslighting
1: experience. What does that mean? It is a gaslighting experience. Yeah,
0: it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. That's, so yeah, you're right. Thank you for clarifying. So <laughs> they they are letting us know. Uh, you know they're, they're telling us one thing and the facts are saying another thing and it's really sad unfortunate and the people that get hurt are middle class people savers people that uh don't have have money have resources so what do you I mean what do you think I mean obviously it's important to pay attention to the fed because they are the ones that you know are setting interest rates interest rates at you know currently have been rising you know even last this last month they said you know 0.25 uh, percent there's thought to maybe raise again and then they're going to wait but uh, what, what do you think, You know, how has it changed in lending for multifamily deals? Has it just stopped? Or are you still seeing deals getting done or what are, is it getting harder to do deals right now or what are some changes there?
1: Let's look from the lending side at least. So let's start at the lending and then we can go to the other sections, right? So from the lending side, uh, the bridge market is practically dead. And by dead, I mean, they're charging you eight, nine, 10%, which wow. basically means, I mean, look, the yeah, deal doesn't, doesn't work basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Unless... I guess it's a one deal in America that we're all the stars align, right? And the reason for that is because the bridge guys, a lot of times typically securitize their loans they sell it forward. And because there's so much uncertainty, so the people they would sell those loans forward to, right? Think about it this way, right? I'm a bridge lender. I come to you during normal times. And I say this um, portfolio of loans, Yields 5% and you say inflation and interest rates are stabilized at whatever level, you have some way of doing the math. Bronson says, I'm going to do X, Y, Z math. Yes, I'm going to buy it from you at a certain point. So now the issue is Bronson, when I go to Bronson and say, hey, I've got this portfolio of loans, yielding 7, eight, ten there is the math component, which is like, okay, let me do the math, figure it out. The other component is there's the uncertainty component, right? You're like, well, dude, I don't know if I buy it from you today and rates keep going up forever, like, What do I do, right? Because I don't want to throw good money after bad. So that securitized market, that's kind of collapsed pretty quickly, right? Because of uncertainty more than where the rates are. Because people think higher rates led it to collapse. No, it's the uncertainty of what will happen in the future or not happen, by the way, right? Right. That's causing that. So basically what you've done now left is bank financing or agency financing. Uh, Bank is typically recourse financing. There's execution risk. You know, the bank may, may or may not. Uh, you know, they just might yank their term sheet at the last moment, right? And now you're left at closing. So that's a big issue. Plus it's recourse. In case things go south, they come after your personal assets. So the only thing left is agency lending. Uh, The problem with agency lending is, uh, look, I personally love floating rate loans. The issue, You got a tight rate cap. There's a lot of things to this edifice, right? But agency lenders are willing to lend, but the prices are so high right now because sellers, it's still, it's like that seven stages of grief, right? People yeah, You know, yeah. step by step by step, say, okay, well, the guy down the street sold an asset six months ago for X price. And you're like, well, different time, different. It might as well be a different time, right? They'll keep right. pointing it to as a comp, but you're like, it's not a comp because rates were like 200 basis points lower, right? You, say,
0: you said you you said said seven stages of grief. I think there's only five stages of grief. Or, or five or more. seven, whatever. There's a lot <laughs> maybe, of stages. Maybe, of maybe the last two are you just crying and then you're crying more and then you're just, <laughs> you know, there's the some land, other the, bad the, emotions that are not good. I right? think,
1: the I think, Task the first stage, everything is crying.
0: Right, 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 right yeah. <laughs> I think the first stage is like denial, and then it goes on to these different, you know, bargaining... Eventually, decisions.
1: it's acceptance, right? Somewhere, it goes from denial <laughs> yeah. to acceptance, but there's a spectrum over
0: there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, good.
1: so the issue there now is uh, sellers, for instance, look, think about it this way. It's a weak market. No seller wants to sell at a loss or... Uh, you know they put a lot of money into these deals, so now everybody's trying to kick the can down the road. So think about it this way: the seller's saying, "I bought something for twenty million dollars. I wanted at least twenty million dollars," whereas we as buyers are coming and saying, "Yeah, that's that. great. That's not my problem. How much you bought yeah. it at? My yeah. problem is how much is it worth today?" Yeah. And right. that wide bid ask spread is basically causing a lot of deals that should be transacted to not yeah. be transacted right now. Yeah.
0: Right? Which is so, which is so interesting because right now i mean we're still seeing in a lot of markets we're still seeing rents be stable or continue to rise because of inflation yeah. and there's this incredible demand but yet we just can't get deals done because of the lending because the lending has been so like it's been so like artificially low that it just has brought so much money into it and now it's changed but you mentioned this word uncertainty um you know the markets don't like uncertainty whether it's stocks whether it's uh, it comes to you know, things like this, and I know your background. You're you're a chartered financial analyst, a CFA, which I highly you know admire. That's a very difficult test to do. But from a financial perspective, uh, you know investors are looking at it, seeing more uh, risk there. As a bank, if you're a bank or, or a lender, you're saying, "Hey, why would I lend on this when rates are going to be higher in the future?" Right. So maybe until lending actually kind of slows down and says, "Okay, we've, we're kind of hold here for a while." And there's a pretty good chance maybe rates will go down. Then then it's like, oh, okay, well, then there's a chance that actually as a lender, you actually can make some money, or even as a, as a seller or buyer, like what if it gets worse if you're not able to sell? Um, let me let me ask you a question as far as risk. I always look at deals and I try to think about, you know, as a passive investor as well as, as an operator, like what's the downside? What could happen negatively in this particular deal? And I heard about recently a couple large deals, one in San Francisco from some, like maybe a 30 property portfolio that was a $500 million loan that basically defaulted. And there was another one, I think in New York. And there's was this. Was it
1: multifamily start- or
0: was it uh, office? These were all multifamily. They're all multifamily. So some of these multifamily stuff now is starting to happen. I actually heard about a couple of deals, distressed deals, either deep, I have one that's a deep value add, one that is a... Um, uh, it, it's it's another one of guys I think is probably going to lose. So I'm hearing about people potentially losing deals that they've had for, either you know, they're more recent or for a while. What do you see as some of the biggest risks of, uh, you know, in the market right now, people either losing deals that they currently have or investors losing money. I always try to think about that because that's obviously a consideration.
1: Look, uh, the sad fact of the matter is most investors in most deals, if they've at least partially lost, I mean, if, there, if the asset was marked to market, right, you go to the market, you get a BOV, it's not perfect, but it's the closest approximation to a value that you can find market price. Right, sure. The fact of the matter is, a lot of properties right now are not even worth the debt that's on them. Uh, properties that are slightly above that, and we're talking like people who have crushed it, right? I mean, conventionally, they have crushed it. It's just that the rates going up has really killed their valuation. And a lot of deals, basically, we're seeing where at least partially the equity is wiped out for the timing what happens in the future, we'll find out. But a bigger issue that I'm seeing is that it's kind of swerved from, hey, I just need to be really good at marketing and raise a shit ton of capital. Don't worry about operations at all. Who cares? Because I can flip it in a year's time, right? To now, for instance, even in markets, like like for instance, I'm in Atlanta, I'm in Orlando, Jacksonville, Sioux Falls. I'm even seeing deals there. And these are good markets, right? I mean, look, my point is, they're not bad markets, right? I mean, guys have properties that are 70% occupied. occupied, 85% occupied. And you have to think to yourself, look, there is the effect of uh, the pernicious effect of, say, rates rising, which kills us, which everybody's affected. But how did you drop the ball so much that your occupancy is in the mid-80s or mid-70s, right? Like that is an operator issue. So a lot of times in the past, what was happening is you could be really bad at operations, but you kind of got bailed out because somebody was getting free money. And now that party is sort of shifting. So a lot of those folks that were the, look, if you, let's be honest, the the smart trick for the past 10 years was to not focus on operations. Let's just be honest, right? Because who cares? Because all you were doing was flipping, right? But eventually the chickens come home to roost, right? If you have bad habits, they eventually catch up with you. So right now the issue that investors should be facing from a downside perspective is to look, understand, okay, the capital market side, that's people, don't really have a control. over, Right. So let's kind of take that out of the picture. Right. Right. Things happen. Right. They don't happen. Let's put that effect away. But what's happening operationally, as you mentioned, it's still a great time operationally. Right. So yeah. if your rents are not there, your vacancy is very high, your bad debt is shooting through the roof. Now that's an operator issue. Yeah. That's a very different conversation. And don't confuse the two things, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, actually, it was interesting. I had we had Ken McElroy on a panel recently, and I asked him this question and he was, um, saying, you know, that basically 2023 is the year of operations, really making sure that your operations looks good. And and sometimes, you know, I, I've noticed in some deals like that we've done where you know we we had to get to the seller had to get to 90% occupancy and they were at 85%. So they just got a bunch of terrible tenants in there, and all of a sudden you inherited them because the deal had to close. Yeah. And then sometimes your you know your occupancy goes down to you know 85 or 80 percent or it goes lower. But I have seen that, you know, it can it can definitely be challenging to uh, you know, to operate a deal well, what what are some other tricks that you're not tricks, but just best practices, I guess, when a, because uh, a lot, I think a lot of passive investors are like, well, how do I know who is a good operator? Who's good at operations versus just somebody who is an operator, right? So there's like people that are operators, a lot of, a lot of operators out there, but how do you like, like what do you look at when you see, oh, here's a peer, and and you know they're they're doing some things that I really admire, right? There's some things. Is it just simply occupancy, or what are the other performance kind of things that you see other folks doing that you're like, "Wow,
1: look, I can talk from a team perspective, right? Because um, look if you have a big enough portfolio, nobody bats a perfect one hundred percent, right? I mean, nobody's batting a perfect one, right? So you're gonna have issues, right? We all affected right. by issues. What I would look at if I'm an investor in a team is basically, number one, Uh, how good is their accounting side of the business, right? I mean, they have to, I'm nobody saying you have to be a CPA, right? But on a day-to-day basis, you have to understand how your financials work. Because when you understand how your financials work, there is a very good job because that has ramifications, right? Numbers don't lie. So when you understand how your financials work, by definition, you understand what are the key drivers of those financials. And when you understand what are the key drivers of those financials, in every deal, there's really only one or two variables that account for like 80% of the value. Right? So look, sometimes it's delinquency, right? You're, you could have the great property, not a lot of deferred maintenance. You just didn't scream correctly. Now you got to work through that process. Sometimes you got deferred maintenance. So it's a capex process and sometimes it's a market issue. So you can, you know, there's a bunch of things. So how good are people at actually the accounting and actually understanding, look, a dollar comes in, like somebody pays us rent. How does it go through all three of my financial statements? This is one-on-one level stuff, nothing crazy, right? Yeah then you understand what are the key drivers. So operationally, who do these people have on their staff? Because if it's just a one guy trying to do investor relations, try to do operations, try to do accounting, try to do property management, try to do asset management, I mean, that's just not going to work,
0: man. Yeah.
1: Right? So I would see how well-rounded the team is, number one, from that perspective. And then what I would try to understand also is, look, but conversely also, Investors also have very unrealistic expectations. Everybody thinks every deal should be a 20, 30% IRR. And well, look, reality is, man, Warren look, Warren Buffett is not at a 20% IRR. Okay. Right. So I can assure you, pretty much anybody else in real estate right now is not smarter than Warren Buffett. I mean, that's just, let's just be honest. Right. So if yeah. the GOAT of all time is not at that level, how do you think somebody's going to keep rinsing and repeating at 20% IRR? So, yeah you should have your expectations in line also, right? A lot of times.
0: Yeah. No, I think a lot of people, they, uh, they do have unrealistic expectations. They've had 1300 one-on-one phone calls with investors. And sometimes I'll get somebody on the phone and say, like, you know, well, what are you? you know, this is kind of what we do, what it kind of returns. And, you know, sometimes they will be like, oh, I'm looking for a hundred percent in one year. And I'm kind of like, well, that, well, that's obviously not the right fit for you. Right. Like this is, yeah. things are up, they're down. And, you know, I share our, our prior you know exits and we, this is about kind of what we did at projections. These were better, but this was, Kind of generally what it is but um, I, I love you know I love that you, you shared that. Um, wanted to ask you Omar as well. Um, so I look at you know kind of about 85 percent or 80, 80, maybe somewhere between 85, 80 and 90 percent of loans out there to large multifamily are with variable debt. Yeah. And a lot of these are class A kind of REIT style stuff that's really big brand new. Sometimes maybe they put more money down but I look at those as you know really if, if rents go down at all obviously their interest costs mm-hmm. are going up. Yeah. And if rents go down, then those are going to be at risk. Do you, see, do you see that kind of the same way that I do? I know the reason I say this is because uh, for those listening, I think we have bought one of your deals in Jacksonville and then you bought one of our deals that we sold in Atlanta. And so like we, you know, obviously we're doing the same kind of stuff, which is awesome. And we're both seeing upside there. But what, what do you see when you look at some of those, I get that question on people are like, well, isn't this just kind of similar to REITs? So I'm like, well, really no, because there's not a value added component. So well, are you seeing a lot of risk there as well?
1: Look, uh, the fact is that A lot of times in the REIT model, they have the ability to publicly go raise equity,
0: Hmm. right?
1: Which is a very attractive feature. So for instance, unless some, I mean, they've done all bad. I mean, it's such a bad situation that you can't fix it, right? Short of that, they have the ability to basically capitalize their deals and keep putting more and more equity in their deals. So will they be in trouble? Sure. Will a couple of REITs be in trouble? possibly. But they have the ability to basically go raise equity publicly, which is a very attractive feature. So they can over-equitize their deal, right? Or right. if they're in trouble, they short it out. right? Yeah. For instance, their rate cap is coming to you. It's a $3 million rate cap or whatever some weird amount is. Now, if you're a syndicator, you have to go do a capital call. If you don't have the money, they can just go publicly raise the money without, right. you know, so that, that's a different that's business model. Now yeah. the syndicator business model, the fact is, look, you have to understand that if all your loans, if all your rate caps, if, if you don't stagger, it's like a ladder bond portfolio, you know, you know this as you're right, yeah. you can't have all your bonds expiring at exactly the same time, right? It's the exact same thing with loans. It's the exact same thing with rate caps. You have to have some sort of a schedule. And the schedule is kind of like your insurance policy, right? Think about it this way. You've got 10 deals. Now, if all 10 of them were expiring in February, 2023, I mean, you got a big problem, man. But, you know, say one expires in Q1, 2023, two expire in Q2, couple expire in Q4, couple expire in 2024. Well, then you're kind of smoothing out all of the troubles you may or may not have.
0: Right, right. right? Yeah, because it provides, like a, it's a more diversification of time to like time. Those actually do yeah. time
1: Because all you basically need is time. Look, think about it yeah, this right. way.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, this
1: that. Essentially, look, we know this, that if rates stay at this level, the United States government cannot even refinance its own debt. Right. Okay. So forget about us. (laughs) We're small potatoes, right? The US government can't refinance its debt. So at some point in the near future, they have to take rates down, right? You just have to have the ability to survive till that some point in the future.
0: Yeah. Right. That's it, basically.
1: That's the game you're playing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the interesting thing right now is we know these are great assets and yet it's getting really challenging to buy new assets cuz like you said you can't we can't qualify or it doesn't just the numbers don't pencil with either agency or bridge or it just doesn't work or these banks will the lenders will pull out last minute which we've seen and so it gets to be very difficult to to try to to move forward with all that um what how do you foresee obviously no one has a crystal ball but do you have an idea of kind of how this will look kind of over the next 6 to 12 months uh, do you think things will start to kind of stabilize again or do you think it's going to be kind of feeling like risk on for a while here. Risk on for a while.
1: I think at least next six months, six to nine months, it's risk on. And that's not because people don't want to buy. There's lots of buyers that want to buy. It's just that those buyers are also have to go to the open market to get debt. Because a lot, look, let's be honest, most people aren't closing with cash, right? If you're closing a 20, 30, 40, $50 million deal, a $100 million deal, they're not really closing with cash, man. Maybe there's like a handful of people in the world that are closing with cash, right? So those people have to go to the open market. Now, there's one of two things that can happen. They can go to the open market. Prices can stay high. Their leverage is going to be really low. So even if they want to pay the higher price, the returns get killed, right? Because it's just math, right? Right. Or they say, screw this. I'm just going to offer, let's assume somebody asks $30 million, right? That's a price guidance. If all the bids come in at say $25 million, Well, that's a market price. So then the seller has to decide, do I take a $5 million haircut in this example, or what do I do? Because eventually buyers are in some, they have more leverage right now than sellers because, but also have to realize sellers had a lot of leverage for like three, four years because sellers were like, it was a beauty contest. Hey, what can you do for me? How many more hoops can you jump for me? Right? So yeah these things come in cycles. As long as you're reasonable on the way up, uh, look, bad things are going to happen, but it doesn't have to just fall off a cliff, right? You can have a yeah. gradual decline, which is basically trying to find time. And as soon as the right time comes, you refinance your properties. But again, your operations have to be in order. You have to buy the right properties. So there's a couple of variables there, but it's risk on for the next six to nine months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is it is interesting. Um, you know, a lot of it, it's been so good for so long and it, when anything you bought over the last, you know, five, 10 years, it was great. Right. There was really not maybe just, you know, uh, little bumps here and there, but this has really been, it's changed, I think very quickly from, and that's kind of, we had this big deal we were doing that, uh, you know, we, we went after our biggest raise ever in like, you know, May or June of 20, let's say it would have been 22. And it's not, it feels like a long time ago. I know <laughs> and it feels like a really long, like another world, but yeah, but you know, things were so good for so long that it has, it has changed. So I, I'm pretty, um, I'm still solid on multifamily. I'm solid on the stuff we own. I feel good about it. And that's why you talk about operations. Like we know with a value add strategy, if we go in and do these renovations and we can see the upside of 40 or 50% or 30%, whatever that amount is, we know we're going to be just fine, right? I'm sure it's for you. Know, if you can get those done, because your your rents are going so much higher, which will give you a lot of margin of safety when the loan is due in a year or two or whatever that time frame is. But uh, it is it is kind of a funky time, and and hopefully you know we'll get through it. And I, I think it's going to be interesting, and I'd love to know your opinion. But once uh, rates start to stabilize or come down, I think, kind of to your point, that a lot of money on the silence is going to come in chasing all these assets. And I think it's going to cause valuations to go up again, because I think there's yeah. a record amount of money on the silence. Do you think that that is a likely scenario?
1: Yes. And the other deal also is, like, um, look, <laughs> this is the past couple of weeks, every week I have like, five or 10 guys email me saying they have rescue capital in the form of pref equity or mezzanine financing. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And the fact of the matter is, I think, and look, I'm obviously only looking at a sample of the overall market, right? right. Because whoever reaches out. So my point is, I think there's so much rescue again, it looks like there is so much rescue capital out there that yeah. everybody, including my assessment of, Hey, the prices are going to fall. It's going to be a big step down. I don't think it's going to happen that way. Right. Because yeah. anytime the flyer flies goes down by five percent, some guy comes in and stay buys it at that price, right? Yeah, right. Price goes down by two percent, some guy buys it. Right. Yeah. So that right. floor doesn't just collapse. Yeah. And again, if it goes down gradually, then look in six months, one year time, if rates go down, you're back to game the same game, basically.
0: Yeah, and this is, you know, we we talk about this a lot on the show, too. They just, the, the increase of currency, you know, just over a two-year period was, like, a 40.9% increase in... Yeah, M2 it's bonkers, right? So it's crazy. So there, there's, like, you know, people are like, oh, we're going to go high, like, stocks are going to go up and go down. It's like, well, no, when you just create so much currency, like... Stuff may go up, may come down, but like over the long run, it, it's got to be way, way, way more valuable than it is now because of just the amount of money that's out there. So Because I your feel, dollar I mean, is
1: worth less. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, not, is, it, it is. It's
0: worth more in nominal terms.
1: I don't know how much it's <laughs> worth in real terms, basically.
0: Well, the crazy thing too is from a world-like perspective, the dollar is actually pretty strong right now, and it's because the alternatives aren't that good, right? So everybody rushes yeah. to the dollar, but eventually that doesn't, you know, you know, I know once the dollar stops being reserve currency to the level it is now, then- you know, we're, we're, we're in deep trouble if we don't manage it well, which is really the uh, the tough part. But getting into assets, obviously, is really good. Um, talk to us, Omar. I'm really excited to be at this event that you're hosting, you and Jonathan Twombly, the Multifamily Wealth Project. Talk to us about even the name. Where, where did that come from? And w- what are some things that we're going to talk about while we're there?
1: So look, it's from April 26th to 28th, uh, 2023 in Las Vegas, uh, Bronson. Is, uh, has blessed us with his presence. So he's gonna be there amongst other superstars. So he's gonna put details there. Look, the big deal is I, I, like you, you know, I go to a lot of conferences and I'm an operator, right? And invariably what I've seen with a lot of conferences was basically a lot of talk about doing things and taking action and whatever is the buzzword of the month or year, but nothing really happens after that, right? And look, let's be honest, we're in the business of making money for our investors, for our partners and for our families. Right, So for me, basically the big impetuous was, I was thinking about this for a long time, how do we get a core group of people that we know are actually doing the work? Not talking about doing the work, not boasting about doing the work, but actually day-to-day doing the work. So you have professionals like Jonathan Twombly, Bronson, whole bunch of other people, right? We're gonna be there and we're gonna talk to you about actionable things. So this is not a you know feel good, rah, 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 mentorship sort of thing. Nobody's gonna cheer you up because frankly we're too busy to do that. Here's basically guys and girls who are actually doing deals, right? How do they do those deals? How do they fund those deals? And how can you meet those people, whether you're an operator, if you're looking for equity raisers, right? Tons of equity raisers there. And most operators know this. Lots of people talk a big game when it comes time to raising money. Oh, my dog ate my homework, sort of deal. Right. And if you're an equity raiser, well, in this environment, you want to, well, generally also, but specifically in this environment, you only want to be dealing with top tier equity operators, right? You don't want to be, you don't want to have 100 relationships. You want to have three or four relationships with the top people in the industry. And if you're an investor, you want to see where the equity raisers are going because, you know, they're going to be filtering and choosing the right folks to introduce you to. But you also want to know who the operators are to see, okay, well, How does this guy or girl stack up to what I've done right now? Like, what are they doing? How are they operating? And how can I pick up something or maybe even invest in their deal? So that was a big deal. And the reason why it's a Wells Project is because I feel a lot of times people talk about multifamily as whatever, this, that. And the whole point is at the end of the day, you know, people ask me, hey, what's your big why, right? And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a simple guy, right? I've always said, look, money. I mean, I'm not really doing multifamily because... I grew up wanting to swing a hammer. I mean, I'm just not one of those guys, right? I mean, look at these hands. They're nice and soft. soft. I want to keep them that way. You look too
0: GQ to be like- Yeah, I look
1: too GQ, buddy. And I want to keep it that way, right? I don't look at these hands. They're so so nice and soft. Never, Never dug a hole in my whole life, right? And I want to keep it that way, right? So the wealth part is very important because look, at the end of the day, I think we lose sight a lot of times. We're doing this to make sure our partners, our investors and our families- have a better life. They keep enjoying all the things out there. And we don't fall into the rut of like, Hey, it's middle America. And I just got to go to a job and I got to check in and check out because Bronson, you know, that that game is a loser's game. People, yeah. I mean, it's not happening. I mean, you're on yeah. fixed income. Inflation
0: is unofficially 15%. Yeah.
1: And no boss is ever going to give you a 15% raise. It's just not
0: going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. No. Well, Mar, that's great. I'm really excited to be at the event. I know I've talked to some people that are interested in gonna be, be there as well. So I'm really looking forward to be there in Vegas uh, in April. So made an awesome event. Use that code um, HILL25 to get 25% off at the multifamily wealth project. Really great to have you here, man. I've always appreciated your uh, financial the way you analyze, you know, financials, the way that you talk, you know, very straightforward. You have great ways of explaining things. You're a great guy to get connected with, and obviously we're buying and selling the same stuff to each other. So it's great to get to know. It's funny that story that I was like sitting around the table and I was talking. It was a couple of years ago at an event. And we're selling this property and or we're buying this property in Jacksonville. And I was like, "Well, which one?" And he said, "Well, we're actually we're actually selling that one." And it was one of your partners that was uh, was sitting at the yeah. table, which was really funny. So it's kind of funny how that works. But it's um, a big well, small world, man. What's that? It's
1: a big small world.
0: It is a big, small world. Yeah, and that's true. You know, as an operator, you got to make sure you're doing things above board because everybody knows everybody. And if you're not yeah. somebody who's in the inside, if somebody does something unethical, that stuff gets out very quickly. So, um, how can people get in touch with you, Omar? And how can they reach out and f- follow what you're doing?
1: Look, you can join my mailing list by visiting my website, BoardwalkWealth.com. Uh, the form is right on the homepage. And if you join now, I'll give you access to my hidden mobile app with nine hours of free passive investing courses. Again, that's at boardwalkwealth.com.
0: Awesome, Omar. Thanks for coming today. We'll have to have you back in the future. And I hope I can see a bunch of people listening to this or watching this at the Multifamily Wealth Project in April.
1: Thank you very much, Ronson.
0: Thanks, brother. So, Omar Khan, uh, you know, we talked about the Multifamily Wealth Project. Um, I'm a huge networking and education guy. It's going to be a great event. Uh, check it out. Uh, also, I think, you know, again, what I heard from that interview. Is that with multifamily today there are risks involved, but if you are a good operator and you have, uh, you're able to do the value add that you started out with, right? I mean, obviously REITs and some of these big groups can go raise more money. It's a little harder for syndicators to be able to do that sometimes after the fact or not want to do capital calls or things like that. But um, you know, for people that are good operators, they're able to get the projects done. For like the deals that we're in in Jacksonville, coming in and saying, hey, we're going to, you know. Renovate 80% of these units in two years, and we're on track to do that. And we know if we can do that, then refinancing will be much easier. You know, valuation will be much better. And if we had to, we could sell it at a profit because we're able to get that work done. So that's where the operations side really uh, is is a powerful you know, it, it's so, so important right now. So that's a question that you can ask on the deals that you're invested in or the deals you're looking at investing in. Hey, what's your track record of getting the, the renovations done on prior deals that you started? Were you on track? Were you on schedule? Were you ahead of schedule? How many of you actually renovate? How long did it take you? And those are good indicators to see how that's going to look in the future. So if you haven't joined our investment club, we're doing some things uh, outside of real estate as well as within you know real estate. We still have a couple of multifamily deals we're wrapping up. And uh, we do have some um, some awesome deals, both in the ATM, the car wash space, other spaces as well. If you haven't joined our investor club, you're not hearing about them. So click the link below or go to our website, bronsonequity.com. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Mailbox Money. The best investment you can make is in your own education. So take the day, invest in yourself. we we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune in next time for more Mailbox Money.